Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Jahan Cox teaches on the spirit of generosity. How are you? You awake? Yeah? Good. Um, yeah, that's great. Can you angle it? Mm-hmm. That's great. That's, it's fine. They can see it. They see it. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Why did you even ask? Good morning. Gosh, I love you guys. Thanks. Three of you love me. All right. What? Oh, yeah, I should have those right here. Thanks. What would I do without you? I don't know. I need to repent this morning. I'm going to teach on a topic that I did not exercise very well yesterday, and it brought great dissension in my home. Um, Michael's love language is acts of service. Yes, you heard me right. I'm absolutely awful at acts of service. I'm the worst ever. I'm good at words because I can just flower you up, never have to do a thing. And I love words, which is awesome for those of you that never do anything but are really good at flowering people up. So he, he wanted to go get a haircut, and I was like, I don't want to go with you to get a haircut takes forever to get a haircut and he was like please I really need to go and he even called and there was no line and so he goes I drop him off he's like I need cash to pay for my haircut can you go get cash I'm like sure so I go get cash to pay for the haircut is this on can I have a little more monitor please no is it going to do something funky okay don't 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 want to bust anybody's eardrums so um I go to get cash, and he's like, I need 15. Well, all I could get out of the ATM was a 20, and so I thought, it's fine. I'll get a coffee, you know, on my way back, and I'll get Michael, and I'll break the 20, and I'll get a coffee, and it never occurred to me. Just there's something wrong after almost 20 years of marriage that it never occurred to me to get him a coffee. It's never even, it never, it, it wasn't like, no, I can't afford that because I got to get 15 back. It just never entered my brain. So I get my coffee, I'm on the phone, I'm talking, which I don't talk on the phone very lo- very much because I can't ever concentrate. And I'm driving and Michael gets in the car and, you know, I'm talking, he's talking, and then it hits me. I didn't get him a coffee. Every time he goes to Dunkin' Donuts, he gets me a coffee and gets him one because he goes to get me one. I don't even get him one. I'm just praying he doesn't notice, you know. (laughs) I really was like, God, please don't let him see the coffee. I'm just going to go throw it in the sink and just he'll never know I had the coffee and I totally didn't think about him. He saw it. He saw the coffee. And he was like, got a coffee, huh? (laughs) What could I say? Yeah, I got one, and I didn't get you one. I knew I was coming to get you. How do you say to someone, I didn't even think about you? (laughs) 
There's something wrong with that. I'm just confessing and maybe that I'll get healed. And that maybe next time I go, I'll remember this moment and I'll remember, get him a coffee. Anyways, I want to talk to you about a spirit of generosity today, generosity today, which is not what I was yesterday when I went to get my coffee and not yours. I really do love you. I don't know why I didn't think of you, but I love you. Okay. Spirit of generosity. Um, I think most of us know that when we uh, release what's in our hand to a God who lives in another realm, we access the provision of that realm into our own life. And it can look like a measure of things. It can look like finances. It can look like healing. It can look like whatever you need it to be. Anytime you release what you have to God and all that he is, he brings all that he is in response. So um, I want us to look at what the word says about generous ones. Let's start with Proverbs. I'm just going to hit some high notes, and then we're going to look at a couple people in Scripture today. Proverbs 8.16, generous ones govern. It says, I empower princes to rise and take dominion, and generous ones to govern the earth. Hey, now. Generous ones govern. Probably because God can trust them to govern. Amen. Generous ones are satisfied. Psalm 145, 16. This is all from the Passion Translation. We love the Passion Translation around here. When you open your generous hand, it's full of blessings, satisfying the longings of every living thing. So generous ones govern and generous ones are satisfied. I could also say here that generous ones' hands are always full of blessings. Let's look at Psalm 37, 26. Generosity positions you. Instead, I have found the godly ones to be the generous ones who give freely to others. The godly ones are the generous ones. Say godly ones are generous ones. Are you godly? Jeez, I hope so. Godly ones are generous ones who give freely to others. Did I do that? Good, okay. Their children are blessed and become a blessing. Generosity positions you, and it positions your children. How many of you want your children to not only walk in blessing, but to become a blessing? The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I always thought that was like, it felt better to give than to receive. You know, you tell your kids that at Christmas. It's better to give than to receive. It's better to give. You're like trying to psych them up. Like you really do want to give today. It's going to feel real good when you do it. Blessed are the ones that give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But really, it's very literal. You are the more blessed one when you can be the one that gives and not always the one receiving. It's fine to receive. I'm actually really good at it. Hit me up. I'm excellent at receiving. My love language is gifts. Yes, unashamedly, I will tell you that. I, 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 uh, I'm really, really good at receiving. I got really, really good at receiving when we walked through like seven years of poverty and lack, and I bought diapers with quarters. I was really good at receiving because if I didn't receive, I wasn't going to eat. <laughs> so I got really, really good at it. But you're the more blessed one when you can be the one giving. It's very literal. 
when that hit me, I was like, oh, well, then I want to be the one giving. That, if that means I don't ever receive again, I'm the more blessed one because I'm the one releasing what's in my hand to those around me. How many of you want to be the blessed ones? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right, so generosity will position you. It will position you. It will position your children. It will position them not only to be blessed but to be a blessing. I don't know about you, but we are in the middle of a very selfish generation, fatherless generation epidemic. And I don't want my kids walking around being the ones that are saying, gimme, 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 gimme. I want them to be the ones that say, I have what you need. I have what you need. I've learned to access provision from another realm. Lack is not my problem. I'm seated in heavenly places with a God that knows no lack and no limitation of resources. And I want to partner with him right now in bringing a need to you. That's what I want to raise in the earth. Amen? Amen. All right, let's look at Abraham. Um, I heard this recently where they talk, uh, somebody was talking in some... Uh, I don't know, conference, YouTube, I don't know, I lost track. Okay, but somebody was talking, and I was listening. And <laughs> it's good when you listen when someone's talking. And so um, this person said, you know, you need to read the Bible for what the Bible has to say, not for what you want the Bible to say. And I was like, hmm, I might do that occasionally. <laughs> So when I was studying for this sermon, I had, I had this thought, and I started to study the word to unpack this thought, <laughs> to realize my thought was totally not biblical, wasn't even in there, S not at all. And I kept trying to like, well, you could, you know, spin it this way or turn it that It's just not in there. So I really wanted to make this parallel about Abraham and covenant and God giving and all this stuff, but it just wasn't there. So... Um, the first time God makes a covenant in Scripture, anybody know who it's with? No, that's what I thought too. No, he makes covenant with Noah. He makes covenant with Noah and he says, Hey, I'm going to send rain and I'm going to keep you and your family if you'll get an ark. And he makes a covenant with Noah. And he basically is like, I'll keep you alive. You know, and then... Um, we see Noah obey God and build the ark, and he goes into the ark, and he's there, and he survives, and God keeps his promise. I want to suggest to you today that obedience, which is no small thing, obedience will unlock promise in your life. How many of you would testify that's true? But I would like to suggest to you that generosity will unlock rewards. And I really think the rewards of God could be a pretty awesome thing. <laughs> so obedience unlocks promise. Generosity unlocks rewards. When we look at the life of Abraham, Abraham was a wealthy man. I didn't realize until I was looking. Uh, Genesis 13 says that Abraham was wealthy in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So even though he left his home and he's living in tents and living like a nomad, he's a wealthy man. He's a very wealthy man. If the Bible says someone's wealthy, they're probably wealthy, right? I mean, the Bible kind of knows what wealth is about. So Abraham, in Genesis 12, um, we see God make a promise 
to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make your name great. If you'll get up and leave, this is my promise. So again, we see obeying and promise released. I'm going to make your name great in the earth, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Okay? I'm confident Abraham has no idea what that looks like. I'm going to become a great nation. Well, at the time, you have to understand, we'll dive into this in a minute, but he's rich in livestock, he's rich in silver, he's rich in gold. He's also wealthy in servants and people. So it's not a far stretch for Abraham to go, oh, I'm going to continue to grow in wealth and in status and in tangibles, and God's going to make a great nation out of me. You see what I'm saying? In no mention in Genesis 12 is there mention of a son or is there mention of heirs. It's just, I'm going to make your name great in the earth, and you're going to become a great nation which really could have just played out by continued multiplication of what he already had. Does that make sense? So Genesis 13, we see that God expounds on his promise, and he promises him descendants. Descendants as many as the dust on the earth, and he goes out and has him count the stars. You know the story. And you're going to have descendants more than the stars you can count, you know. And in Abraham's mind, you got to realize he's an old man. So in his mind, descendants is, okay, I'm going to just keep multiplying the way things are. There are men and women being born inside my house, okay? So we're going to pause on that for a moment. We see in Genesis 13, there's a, a conflict. Abraham has left. He left with his nephew Lot. Him and Lot got to a squabble over where they were going to live, and they separated, okay? In Genesis 13, there's a count of Lot being taken by a group of kings that ruled in, that, in those territories where Lot was at, okay? And so Lot becomes a prisoner of war, if you will. And someone comes to Abraham and says, hey, your nephew is in trouble, you need to go get him. And this blew my mind. I didn't know this about Abraham. So Abraham's like, well, i got to go get my nephew. Abraham takes with him 314 trained men. So there was probably untrained men. He takes 314 trained men with him that were born in his house. I got eight kids. I cannot imagine 314 trained men. That's not women. That's not children. That's just trained men. That's wealthy. That's rich. Right? So Abraham is not lacking for stuff. Abraham already knows his name is going to be great in the earth. He's going to turn into a great nation. He's on track to become a great nation. I mean, he's got hundreds in his house. He's responsible for. He has the means to provide for them, obviously. Okay? So we see in Genesis 14, he goes, lots get, lots get, re lots get, I can't say that. Lot gets rescued. And... Abraham takes the spoils of all of the kings. Okay, so the spoil in scripture is the livestock, their possessions, including money, if they have servants, if they have women and children. The spoil. 
Just the spoil of one king would be quite a gathering. But he took the spoil of several kings. Okay? And then we see he comes into contact and meets up with two kings, the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. And then there's this whole thing about Melchizedek. And I just wanted to live there all day yesterday and just, just dive into who this Melchizedek person was. And Michael said, don't go there. Don't you go there. That's going to be scary and interesting. Just don't do it. But I had, fun, I had fun studying it. So the king of Salem was a godly, he was a king and a priest, and the king of Sodom, who was not a godly king. And Abraham comes into contact, and you got to realize Abraham's already a wealthy man. So this is just surplus for Abraham. It's not a sacrificial giving. It's not an obedience giving. This is just surplus for Abraham. And out of his surplus, he chooses to be generous with what he's just received. We don't know why he does this other than he just wants to release a portion of what he's been given. Okay? And then it says in Genesis 15, after all these things, starting with verse 1, after these things, after he releases 10% of all the surplus he just gained, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. See, in, in Abraham's mind, I'm going to be a great nation. I've got descendants. God's going to do all this stuff. He had everything he needed. He had extra of what he needed. But Abraham didn't have what he really longed for, which was his son. And generosity, I believe, unlocked that for him. Verse 2, O Lord, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look at the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. That's a game changer. Not just descendants born in my house, but descendants that come from my body. That's what Abram really longed for. And I really believe the generosity of his heart to give of his surplus unlocked that. God's response is, I'm going to be your great reward. He'd already made promises in his obedience but him just freely re releasing unlocked reward for him. Let's look at um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, if you'll go there. <clears throat> I want to talk to you today not only about giving in the spirit of generosity. It could be so easy to look at the context and go, okay, but Abraham had extra. I mean, duh, if I had extra, I would give. <laughs> duh, I mean... Why wouldn't I give? If I had 318 men born in my house and I just took the spoil of kings, I'd probably give a little to the church. Yeah, probably. 
But here we're going to look at a situation where people were not in abundance and not in surplus and did not just take the spoil of ten kings. They were actually in lack. All right, let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 8. Paul is writing to the churches of Macedonia, which would have been Philippi, Thessalonica. Oh, my gosh. I I should have practiced these. Uh, Berea and others in that region. Okay, for me, I was like, what's Macedonia? And then when he said Philippi, I was like, oh, okay, the Philippian church, Thessalonians, I know that stuff. Okay, so there's a group of churches, all right, and you got to understand the time they're in, they're being greatly persecuted. Why? Because they're coming to Christ, and the Roman Empire is afraid of being overthrown. So when I say persecuted, I mean killed, I mean put in chains, serious persecution, okay? So this is who Paul's writing to in verse uh, verse 1, chapter 8. Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. They exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord. Really, they were going there just to preach the gospel. So they dedicated themselves to the Lord. That was really Paul's expectation. These people are going to turn their hearts to the Lord. You know, I'm going to establish a people here who will serve the Lord. And then he, I'm sure, is sharing about works in other regions. And this is the need. And their response is even more than Paul's, which is extreme generosity. Some commentaries say Paul was like, you can't give this much. This is not this is against even our advice. You don't need to give this much. We're we're fine. This is too much. So even against what Paul would have advised and even beyond what he expected, they gave. Verse 6. That is why we appealed to Titus since he was the one who got you started and encouraged you to give so he could help you complete this generous undertaking on your behalf. You do well. Now he's talking to the Corinthians. Guys, you do well and excel in every respect. You've got unstoppable faith, powerful preaching, revelation knowledge, passionate devotion, and your sharing love that we've shown to you. So make sure you also excel in grace-filled generosity. I'm not saying this as though I were issuing an order, but to stir you to greater love by mentioning the enthusiasm of the Macedonians as a challenge to you. For you have experienced the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake, so that by his poverty we could become rich beyond measure. So here are my thoughts. It's in your best interest. Since you made a good start last year, both in the grace of giving and in your longing to give, you should finish what you started. 
You were so eager in your intentions to give, so go do it. Finish this act of worship according to your ability to give. For if the intention and desire are there, the size of the gift doesn't matter. Your gift is fully acceptable to God according to what you have, not what you don't have. I'm not saying this in order to ease someone else's load by overloading you, but as a matter of fair balance. So he's saying, listen, these people who are in extreme poverty, who had the right to withhold, who heard of your need and the work God was doing and could have just said, yay and amen, let's send some prayers. (laughs) Because the joy of the Lord, which is the strength of God, which I think is kind of like gasoline in the kingdom. You know what I mean? I would like enjoy the gasoline. I really believe that they just had such a witness of what God was doing and such joy filled their heart. There was no other response but to give generously. And so he's saying, hey, these little people that couldn't have given and shouldn't have given did give. So by all means, you guys need to do what you say you're going to do. You need to follow through. You need to give. Listen, Michael and I have a vision to see the city saved, to see it turned upside down. We're not looking to just pay the bills here. Not looking to just have a nice salary and have a few people here on salary and just call it comfortable. There are churches today and we talk about Bethel a lot around here, um, but there are churches today, Bethel being one of them, who don't just take from the city. I don't want to be a people that goes around and asks for donations all the time to run our VBS. I want to show up at Chick-fil-A and say, I need to buy 10 trays for what we're doing. We are the church, we're the blessed ones, and I want, we want to give to your business today. I want to be the ones that hear of a police department, an area of the department shutting down and write a $500,000 check and say, not in my city, that's staying open. If there were to be disasters, I would want to be able, like this church I'm referencing, people walk in the door that just lost everything and every family that walked through the door, they gave them $1,000. That doesn't happen If people don't give. How can we be a people who have received the generous love and mercy of God and not give? I don't understand that. And I wanted, I, I do want to uh, type on the door of giving, and yes, everyone should give. And I'm not going to Malachi today about the curse coming on you. I'm not doing any of that. I I believe we understand giving here to a level. I want to talk to you about generosity. Giving is obedience. It's baseline. It's foundational. It's just everything I have you gave me, so what other response but to give back? Above that, I'm talking about generosity. I'm talking about giving out of my excess and my increase. Giving maybe when I shouldn't give and it looked irresponsible to give and it looked like that was not the most wise decision. Yet I understand if I'm a generous one, I'm positioned to govern. If I'm a generous one, I make my children to be a blessing. 
If I'm a generous one, I unlock a realm that knows no lack and knows no limited resources. And I would rather tap into that than save down here where moth and rust destroy. So, let's look at one more passage. I love this. I didn't realize in context, 2 Corinthians 9, which we read a lot when we talk about giving, is on the back of what he's saying in 2 Corinthians 8. Listen, these guys gave ridiculously. You need to do the same. And then he goes on in chapter 9 to say, here's my point. It's like he's trying to say it five different ways. Here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest. But the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. I am not interested, we are not interested in you giving because you feel obligated. Because that will do nothing for us in the spirit world. Nothing. We'll just keep paying the light bill and buying paper towels and paying the heat and paying the church, paying the pastor, paying the children's workers and just... That's it. Because we're giving out a religious duty. Well, this is what we do. This is, this is just what we do. We give because I'm a good Christian. I'm talking about generosity that we have so much, we are looking for places to sow. We are looking for places that need blessing, that need rescuing. And we, the people of God who should have the answer and should not be in lack, say, hey, we have what you need. That's, where that's the church we want to have. Amen? Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Just as the scriptures say about the one who trusts in him, because he has sown extravagantly and given to the poor, his kindness and generous deeds will never be forgotten. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant toward you. First, he supplies every need plus more. Then he multiplies the seed as you sow it. So that the harvest of your generosity will grow. Are you hearing this? He gives seed and then he multiplies the seed. That's crazy. He not only puts what you need in your hand, he multiplies it. I believe he multiplies it to the measure that you give it. You will be abundantly enriched in every way as you give generously, say generously, on every occasion. For when we take your gifts to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God. Here's the deal. When you don't give, you're not just storing up for yourself. You're eating your seed. Your seed is the only thing that prophesies more is coming. Because God multiplies your seed. Your seed is the only thing that prophesies, I'm not just going to live like this for the rest of my life. 
Your only way out of lack and poverty is not begging. Begging actually is quite the opposite. The only way out of lack and poverty is giving. You have to give your way out. Not beg, hunker down, and store your way out. You have to give your way out. And when you don't give, this is what your finances look like. Do not enter. Keep out. God, I've got this. I don't need your help in my finances. I don't need your supernatural ability in my finances. I've got this. I'll work hard enough. I'll save wisely enough. I've got this. Don't come in. Don't multiply. Don't position me for blessing. I just want to take care of me and mine. That's what not giving says. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It says that um, I'm just struggling and, and I'll give later when I have to give. If you don't have anything, you need to borrow seed from somebody else to get something. You can't beg your way out of lack. You have to give your way out. I have borrowed. When I didn't have to give, Michael and I said, hey, can we borrow? I'm sure it'll come back. Don't know how we'll get it back to you. And most of the time they're like, praise the Lord, just take it for the love. You need this seed. <laughs> but when, when you don't partner with God in your finances, you lock that away. You know you can be a believer and not a giver? I don't really understand it, but I'm just saying. You can, you can be a believer that believes Jesus is Lord and receive him as your Savior and not really be a generous giver. If obedience unlocks promise and generosity unlocks reward, sign me up for generosity. Because here's what happens. When you give, are they the same? Of course they are. When you give, you unlock that doesn't go that way. It goes that way. When you give, you unlock, you got to imagine there's gold down there. You see gold? Just imagine it. I didn't have that many props. Okay? Here's the deal. This is the realm of the other kingdom. Where it's fine, it won't, it can't lock because I just unlocked it in Jesus' name. All right, so you can just close if you will, but you'll open when I need you to open. Okay, so here's the deal this is the realm of the kingdom where they walk on gold, which we kill ourselves to earn down here. They walk on it, He walks on it. His gates are made of fine stones and precious jewels. Just his gate. Just the entrance into the city is with stuff we save for a long time to put on our wife's hand, hopefully one day, and she'll say yes. This realm, you need to invade that realm. You need this door wide open. Amen? I, I want it held open by my constant giving. 
constant generosity. I'm, th- I'm talking slushies at Weigel's to the kid behind me in line. Whatever. Whatever that looks like for you. Whatever generosity looks like for you. For some of you, it looks way different because you're rolling around here like Abraham <laughs> and holding back. You're not holding back anymore in Jesus' name. I want to hold this door open. And when we give, I don't, we don't just release the finances from this world. We release the supernatural from this world. We release miracles from that world. We release provision, whatever it needs to look like. It doesn't mean you get a check every time you write a check. It means breakthrough in the life of my son or my daughter. It means miracles in my body. It means people that walked in with sleeping disorders don't have sleeping disorders anymore. It means cancer dries up because we understand accessing that realm. So I just, I've just been so frustrated with, I'm very thankful. Listen, you got to understand, when Michael and I planted, we had nothing. And so we see people now, and they're like, I mean, you know, you're getting a check now. Like, yeah, for the last year. Woo! We didn't sign up for this to get a check. We planted so that we could pastor people who were hungry to see the city saved. I want to see it. And I don't want to see it on the other side. (laughs) I want to see it on this side. People are doing it. All over the world they're doing it. God is obligated by his word to fulfill his word. And if he'll do it for one, he'll do it for another. It's not ambition to want to see a city saved. It's the Father's heart to want to see a city saved. I'm not looking to attach the name of the church or Michael and our name to anything so a city knows, hey, we know what we're doing down here. We want the glory of God revealed in people and in the lives of these people. And if I love you, I will tell you that giving unlocks that. If I love you, I will tell you generosity unlocks rewards. Not because we want to make this building look better. But look around. Everybody just look around. You don't see a lot of empty seats, right? That's a wonderful thing, but I'm saying we we don't have a lot more room. So if we're going to see a city say, this room's going to have to get a little bigger. We're going to have to build buildings one day. Right? Just the need of the the bare minimum is so much less than what I want God to do in the city through us. We want to expand, uh, knock those, bil- uh, ba- what are those bathrooms? Those are bathrooms, Sean. We want to knock the bathrooms out and open a little bit more space. That costs money. That should be a no-brainer. That should be there. Why? Because we understand giving. You need to give. You need it. 
you need that realm invading this one. And I don't know about you, but I want the reward of God. I don't just want what I have to have and what I need and even excess of what I need. I want rewards. I want God to sit, sit up taller, stand up higher. I don't even know if that's possible. And say, hey, she trusts me. She doesn't just love me and give out of obedience. She trusts me. She's giving out of her excess. Abraham wasn't even looking for excess. He just went to rescue his nephew. He could have easily been like, awesome, cool. My nation's getting bigger. But he didn't. He gave because he understood. I love Michael's teaching about oath and covenant. And if you haven't heard that, I would just really encourage you to listen to it about Abraham lifting up his hand. Because when he lifted up his hand in that moment, God was on the other side lifting up his hand. He came into oath and covenant with Abraham. And not just about promise, but about reward. About rewards. I want to be in oath and covenant with God, accessing rewards. Amen? So, Father, I just pray for your people today. I pray, God, we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying to the church at large. And that we would partner willingly with you in whatever capacity we have to partner with you. I pray, God, for an understanding uh, just a real a trust and a faith to increase, partnered with understanding about what giving unlocks in the lives of believers. But beyond that, I ask, Lord, for a spirit of generosity to hit Redemption Life Church in Jesus' name. I pray that we would be the most generous people in the city. And because we're generous, we would be positioned to govern. Because we're generous, our children would be a blessing and become a blessing and be blessed, and walk in all that they need. I pray, God, today that you would put seed in our hand and that we would be found faithful to sow it and not to eat it. I pray today, God, that you would deal with us on anything that we're withholding that you desire to invade. I pray, God, that we would be found using the key of generosity to unlock the rewards of another realm today. I pray it would unlock wombs in this place. I pray it would unlock healing and miracles in bodies. I pray it would unlock needs and provision. I pray, God, it would unlock reconciliation in relationships. I pray it would unlock destiny and call and purpose. I pray for whatever that seed needs to unlock, whatever DNA that seed needs to carry, that it would carry it and that it would unlock the purposes and plans of God for your people today. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, can you say, so be it? Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.